We'll turn to Psalm 34. As we do so, just let me give a couple of the notices. Uh, please take one of these, the caring Christmas trees thing for Bethany. Uh, the basic idea is if you get a tree and you collect them from Mingus Hill Parish Church, then uh, you will be providing bed and board and support for one homeless person. Uh, and Bethany are going to be doing this in Dundee uh, over January. And uh, it's a great way to get your Christmas tree. Also, Steph McLeod, who was a gentleman who was on the streets and in a lot of trouble. He was converted through the, the work of Bethany, and he's a singer-songwriter. And uh, he basically, it's an evening of song and testimony. And it's well worth going to hear again in um, Mingus Hill Parish Church. And uh, it says on the back here, if this makes any sense to you, Christian acoustic folk, folk blues Americana roots. Okay? So there's got to be something in there. Sounds great to me. I can tick four of those boxes anyway. Um, let's turn to Psalm 34. And we're going to look at this psalm before we take communion. We're going to do it in the light of uh, some of the things that we were praying for, and one of the great difficulties that we have in the Christian church is what happens when things go wrong and we pray to God that they would go right and they don't go right? And how, how do we square our faith with that? Sometimes we ask people how they're getting on in their faith, and it will depend on their circumstances. Well, here's a situation that King David found himself in that it may initially appear as though he used his wits to get out of it, but he attributes his, his salvation in it to God, and he goes also a bit deeper than that. In fact, rather than turn to Psalm 34, if you turn first of all to 1 Samuel chapter 21, because this is the situation where this occurred. We know this from the title of the psalm. 1 Samuel chapter 21 and verse 10. Now, King David was being hunted by Saul. That day, David fled from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. But the servants of Achish said to him, Isn't this David, the king of the land? Isn't he the one they sung about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, king of Gath. So he feigned insanity in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the door of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. Achish said to his servants, look at the man, he's insane. Why bring him to me? Am I so short of madmen that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man come into my house? Well, Psalm 34 is subtitled of David when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech, who drove him away and he left. Just a quick aside. Uh, if you come across these people who keep going, oh, the Bible's full of contradictions. You say, name them. Here's one they name. They say, in uh, Samuel, 1 Samuel 21, it says his name was Achish. And here, it says his name was Abimelech. That can't both be right. Actually, it can. Very simply. Abimelech was his royal name. So, um, I believe we have a royal family called the Windsors. Uh, I'm sure they have other names as well, and the queen at least has two birthdays. Uh, and that's more or less the same kind of thing that was going on here. 
Now, what's interesting is that in this situation, it was extremely serious for David. He'd run away from Saul. He'd placed himself under the protection of Israel's enemies to some degree. And he was immediately being held hostage. He, his life was in great, great danger. He feigned madness. It wasn't his cleverness. Verse 4, I sought the Lord and he answered me. Now, the whole of this psalm is what's called an acrostic. It's like we would do, you might do a poem, um, the ABC of faith, where each line of that poem would begin with the next letter of the alphabet. So, A, act, um, act wisely, B, be brave, C, clever, I don't know, you can keep going all the way through. This is an acrostic in the Hebrew uh, language, uh, and it's an interesting one. It's called a broken acrostic because one letter is left out and another one is used twice, but it's written very much in a poetic style, and it basically divides into six parts telling us how we cope when things are not going so well. So we'll just go through this uh, and think about also uh, what Christ has done for us as we go through it. First of all, then, verses 1 and 2, how do we cope when we're in a really difficult situation? We take on board the lessons of experience, and verses 1 and 2 tell us that our lives are to be lives of continual praise. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. We do not just praise God when we're feeling really happy and when things are going really, really well. Sometimes uh, I come in here on a Sunday evening and come in a bit early and I might be a bit tired and maybe a bit discouraged or whatever, and I actually find it very encouraging just to sit at the back and listen to the guys singing and practicing and so on, because it's worship. And sometimes you come to church and you don't feel like coming. There are lots and lots of people who will say this, I didn't feel like coming. And sadly, because we're governed by our feelings, more and more people say, well, I don't feel like coming, so I won't. But then you might miss a blessing because you come and as people are praising God, you are drawn into that. And even in the midst of the most incredible, intense questioning, fearing, suffering, we can be moved to praise God. Now, that's not just collectively, but also, obviously, David's talking about when he was on his own. My soul will boast in the Lord. I will extol the Lord at all times. That is the mark of the Christian, the one who praises God when things are going well, and the one who praises God when things are awful. Though he slay me, says Job, yet I will trust him. So the first lesson, if you like, of, of how we cope in suffering is not that we ignore the suffering, but it's that we focus and continue to focus on praising God. And that's not as easy as it sounds because we tend to think, if God really loved me, then why would he let me suffer? And if God cared about me, then why would he let these things happen? 
And the next step in that thought process is to think, well, either God doesn't really love me or God is not good. And then that really messes with your head and it really messes with your emotions and you drift away. But the Bible puts it another way. We come to God and we acknowledge that he is love. We come to God, we acknowledge that he is just. We come to God, we acknowledge that he is sovereign. And then we look at our circumstances and we can't fit them together. But we don't then turn away and say, right, God's out of the picture. I've got to judge everything by my circumstances. We do it the other way around. We judge our circumstances by God. And for most of us, we don't fit. We often can't fit the two things together. You know that I enjoy having discussions and debates and answering questions and so on. Sometimes you can't answer the questions. Sometimes you need to shut up. Sometimes you've just got to come back to saying, but I know that God is good. I know that God is love. And somehow, I will see how this experience fits in with that. So even at the bottom of the heap, I will extol the Lord at all times. Secondly, we testify to God's glory. Verses 3 to 6. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord. He answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. We learn to testify to God's goodness and to God's glory. Now, we'll see in a moment how we do that when it looks as though our prayer in particular instances hasn't been answered. But actually, all of us find ourselves in a position where we can testify to God's glory. At least, if we are believers, we can testify to God's glory. What has God given us? It's a bit like your reaction to the current weather. Um, It's funny. Uh, If you're from another country, this probably doesn't apply to you. But if you're Scottish, it's in your DNA to talk about two things, death and weather, and to complain about both. Uh, That's kind of what happens, and especially about the weather. Now, if it had been a typical November, December weather of you know, five degrees, six, seven, eight, nine, ten degrees, and howling gale and horizontal rain, we'd say, oh, winters aren't what they used to be. I remember when we used to go sledging and all that kind of stuff. And now you've got proper winter weather, and what we're all doing, we're all moaning about the weather, and um, that's how you perceive things. But the weather's, uh, if you, there's, there's ups and downs on every side, but if you go out in this weather, it's wonderfully crystal clear air, and the snow is beautiful, and there, uh, there are many things that, that come in. I'll tell you one thing that's been great for me is, because people haven't been able to get out of our street, we've actually got to get to know our neighbors a wee bit. Now, if you want to get your know your neighbors, do what I had to do this week, go up on the roof and bang away at guttering for a couple of days, and people come by and they talk to you. And uh, neighbors, uh, one of my neighbors turned up with a blowtorch uh, to help, and um, people... Uh, John was telling me about digging somebody out in his street, and he and Charlie went and dig someone out in terms of their car. And what are you doing this for? Why are you doing that? Oh, because it's kind of a good thing to do, and you want your car out, and you can't get it out yourself. And shouldn't we all help one another? Sometimes you find that whatever our circumstances, whatever our fears, oh, the ice on the road, or oh, this, or whatever, as we look to the Lord, He does 
deliver us, and He causes us to be radiant. Some of the most radiant and wonderful and deep Christians I have ever met are people who have really been through the fiery furnace of suffering, and they can testify to God's glory. That's what we have to do in suffering. We have to testify to the glory of God. Whatever our circumstances, there are things that we can see that cause us to thank God. If you've read the story of Corrie ten Boom, and, or Ten Boom, I keep, never pronounce that right, and uh, herself and her sister when they were in the concentration camp, and how her sister taught her even to say thank you for little things, like fleas, because she said the fleas kept the guards away. Corrie ten Boom says that her sister taught her a great deal about glorifying God and thanking God. Now, you can do that. It's not saying you don't feel pain. You feel pain, you feel discouragement, you're shattered, you're worried, you're concerned, but you can still look to the Lord. Testify to God's glory. Then learn from experience. He talks about the angel of the Lord from verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him. Now, the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament is a reference to a kind of pre-Christmas, if you like, pre-incarnation form of Jesus Christ. The angel of the Lord in the Old Testament was always connected with God, a manifestation of God. When God wished to show Himself, often in the Old Testament, it was, for example, to Hagar through the angel of the Lord. And that's seen as a kind of pre incarnation form of the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. Well, in the New Testament, things are different for us. I know some of us were talking about this at the dinner table, about how uh, the big in thing just now in some Christian circles is the ministry of angels. And it's a big thing in terms of our culture as well. There are lots of books about angels. I believe in angels. Uh, I have no idea what they look like. I'm told in the Bible that uh, as we've offered hospitality to people, we may have entertained angels unawares. It was very unawares. Um, Who knows? I do believe in angels, but our comfort comes not from angels. Our comfort comes from Christ. And if in the Old Testament they had a, uh, a kind of visionary form, an angelic form, In the New Testament, we have the second person of the Trinity, the Son, made human. It's what we celebrate at Christmas. He encamps around those who fear Him, and He delivers them. That's this idea of, I hope this doesn't sound too vulgar, but the idea of a the angel of the Lord being in a mobile home or moving around, not being stuck in one place. And what David is saying is, for us, is that Christ is with us wherever we go. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. God is not far from any one of you, says Paul to the Athenians, for it's in Him that we live and we move and we have our being. How does a Christian cope in difficult circumstances? Praise God 
at all times. Testify to God's glory and look to Jesus to be with us at all times. Verses 11 to 14 then tell us about the secret of the good life. How do we retain that? Come, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. If you love life, you desire to see good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. There's a deliberate sense in which we say, because we praise God, because we want to testify to God's glory, because we have Christ with us, we're not going to talk rubbish. We're not going to lie to people. We're not going to be bitter and gossipy. We're not going to be people who turn towards evil. We're going to do the opposite. When we come and we sit at the Lord's table, we don't sit there because we are good, but we come absolutely determined to do good, to go from this place determined that we will help and aid people as far as God enables us to do it, and we will seek peace. We cannot sit at the table of the Lord and want to continue fights and wars and troubles. Life is too short for that kind of stuff. The secret of facing trouble, verses 15 to 18, prayer. His ears are attentive to their cry. The righteous cry out, the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. Is any of you in trouble, says James? Let him pray. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. In verse 18, it says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. It doesn't mean that the Lord prevents you being brokenhearted. It does mean that He is close and with us. And the word that's used here is a very beautiful and interesting word. It's a word that's used of the next of kin. You know, when you have someone who's very, very ill, we pray for Mary, of course, because, you know, Hugh is very ill and David and the rest of the family. Well, when you have someone who's very ill, who feels, who empathizes, who goes along more than their family, more than those who are closest to them? And here, what we're being told is this. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. Sometimes we make a mistake, I believe. I make this mistake many times. We pray that God would be with somebody. Maybe that's the right thing to pray. But maybe we ought to recognize that sometimes God is with people. Sometimes we pray as though God is distant and He is not interested and He doesn't care. And we have to persuade Him because of our prayers, to be interested. But the psalmist puts it a different way. He said, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. That's actually why we pray. We don't pray that God would come near to us. We pray because He is with us. He is beside us, and we can talk to Him. The secret of facing trouble for the Christian is to walk through the valley of the shadow of death with the Lord as our shepherd. And that's the secret of deliverance, verses 19 to 22. A righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. 
That's not a guarantee. I know it sounds like a guarantee of a trouble-free life, but it's not. David knew that. The Bible testifies to that. What it is a guarantee of is that God delivers us out of our troubles. It doesn't mean that we never have troubles. It means that he delivers us out of them. He safeguard. He pays the price. Verse 22, the Lord redeems his servants. He pays whatever it costs. He provides a refuge in the midst of the storm. I cannot say from the Bible that if you are a Christian or if you become a Christian, that only good things will happen to you. I can say from the Bible that whatever happens to you, whether good or evil, will work for good and for your good. And that God will deliver us from many troubles. A righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers us from them all. It's why we can have peace in the midst of the storm. It's why we can have confidence, whatever happens, because what can, what can happen to us if God is on our side, if we are protected by Christ? The worst that can happen is that we go to heaven and have no more pain and sorrow and suffering. So why is that such a bad thing? It's not. It's not. We have to have absolute confidence in Jesus Christ and extol him and praise him. I'm always amazed at the testimony of some of the early Christians. There was uh, one of these dreadful films when people went through a phase of making kind of biblical uh, narratives. And I think this one was called The Robe, and it had Peter Ustinov as the Roman emperor as Christians were being... uh, slaughtered, put into the arena to be killed by gladiators or lions or burnt at the stake. And in one stage, he has this marvelous scene where Ustinov is head, his, his hands, sorry, over his ears, shouting and yelling, they're singing, stop them singing, because he was burning them to death, and they were singing. He said, how can these people sing? And one of the early Christian apologists that I read uh, described how no matter what you do to us, we will praise God. And that just absolutely infuriated people. Job's friends said to him, curse God, or his wife said to him, actually, curse God and die. Look at all this trouble that's come upon you. But he didn't. And we don't either. We go back to this. I will extol the Lord at all times. The Lord redeems his servants. No one will be condemned who takes refuge in him. We are a Christian family. So we pray for our brothers and sisters who are in need. We are, if you like, I hope, to some degree, close to them, to Andy and Jenny, and I hope we do pray for them, and I hope we are burdened for them. But the Lord is far, far closer than we ever could be. I think sometimes people say, Well, God has to use us because we are his hands and because he hasn't got any hands himself and so on, and we have to be close to people. And I understand what people are saying. I still think it's wrong, though, because, yes, we should be used, but not because God is far away, because God is near. 
And one of the things we need to keep reminding ourselves is the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are attentive to their cry. We are going to um, take communion in a moment. And as we do that, let me just remind you of, of what it is. It's telling us that there is one who came and who provided the way out of suffering for us, who came to deliver us from the fear of death, who came to deliver us from the consequences and the power of our sin, who came to redeem us. And when we sit at the uh, communion, what we are doing is, as we take communion, we are saying that we ourselves have faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We are saying that we are connected with our brothers and sisters, and we are saying that we absolutely are committed to Him. If you are here and you're uh, not yet a Christian, please remain just, the communion won't take that long, and we'll sing something, a couple of things before we end. Um, please do remain, but please, as you observe this, ask the Lord to come into your life because what you don't have, if you're not a Christian, is you do not have the Lord being close to you, the Lord delivering you from your fears and from your troubles. Becoming a Christian will not get rid of your troubles, but it will give you a much better context and a much better understanding in order to be able to handle them. I would ask that as you observe this, that you commit your way to the Lord.